All right. Thanks so much, everybody. Man, glad to be here with you. Hope that you're glad to be with the people that you were here with. If not, move. Go ahead and move today. Go ahead. Uh, find a spot that you'd rather sit at, move around, and maybe you'll find somebody that'll take you to get a big fat yeast roll or something for lunch. Uh, we are so glad that you are here and uh, so glad that you're going to be a part of our Bible classes here in a few minutes. Hey, um, our elders are rock stars here, all right? Our elders are rock stars, and they're going to be coming into uh, the classes to talk about some really uh, great things that are happening within our church family here, and you do not want to miss being a part of that. So if you're new and you're thinking, man, I don't know, I don't know these, these guys, I mean, it, it is amazing. When these guys walk in, I mean, Pete, the, the crowd just parts, and they just kind of walk right on through. Um, I don't know if the crowd walks out. You know, they don't think that happens. It, but hey, it's a great time, and I hope that you're going to stay and I want you to be a part of that. You enjoyed your uh, 4th of July holiday? Everybody enjoyed that, right? Had a good time? Um, I got to go to small town Alabama for, uh, for the holidays. Uh, Tanya grew up in Addison, Alabama. And if you've ever been to Addison, Alabama, you were lost in Alabama. And, and you, just happened to, um, you just happened to drive through. And if you were ever lost there on the 4th of July, you could be a part of their 4th of July parade because, I mean, the, the fire trucks come out. You do not want to have a fire 4th of July because every fire truck, every fire truck is, um, is, is, is there. Um, and not only every fire truck in Addison, every fire truck from the neighboring communities come out. I mean, it, it's, a, it, it's a big deal. And of course, you have your usual small town uh, 4th of July parade scenes. There's the, the veterans in the back of the pickup truck, right? I mean, you got to have that in small town USA. Put the veterans in the back and, and they're waving and throwing out candy. You also have to have the mule drone wagon. That's always important. Get the mule drone wagon. By the way, um, the mule drone wagon always comes last in the parade. Just saying. And, and there's, always, there's always a church that's going to be advertising their vacation Bible school. And apparently the moose is going to be loose if you go to, uh, if you go to Addison. Uh, that's going to be coming up. Uh, we, we don't want you to go to that Bible school, by the way, because our Bible school is next week, all right? And so we don't want you to, to travel to Addison for that one. We want you to be here uh, for hours. One of the best things that I saw, though, this was really great. This was on the side of a tow truck, because there are tow trucks in parades also. Uh, can you see what it says? Let Jesus tow your sins away. <laughs> I thought, that's great. <laughs> that, is, that is really, oh man, check your heart for that one. Okay. Um, it is, it's great though to be a part of things like that. And if you were able to participate in a parade, uh, whatever the size of town it was, I hope that you uh, were able to enjoy it. One thing that always happens though, whenever we go back to Addison, we run into individuals who uh, knew Tanya when she was uh, growing up and they see our family and they always uh, mention how that Emily uh, our daughter resembles uh, Tanya. So I, I thought I'd put this up if you haven't thought about it before. I know, oh, isn't that sweet? I mean, that, that's my wife, guys. That's, that's who I married, right? Um, that's awesome. And, and so, they do, they, they do resemble one another a lot. And, and so, we get that. People go, oh, said, I'm so glad that you look like your mother. <laughs> I don't 
always know how to take that. I mean, I, 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 I think it's a compliment, you know, but that's, that's, what, we, that's what we hear a lot. Um, I wanted to look like members in my family when I was growing up. Uh, I've told some of you before how that the, um, the, the male side of my father's family, most of them are over six feet, over 250 pounds, and they ate quarterbacks in high school. I mean, that's just what they did. Um, and that's what I wanted to do, and I just knew that was going to happen to me. But this is what I looked like as a kid. Um, yeah, that's, that's me, the little guy right, right there. Um, and I didn't get much bigger than that through the years. I just kind of stayed uh, right around, you know, right around that. And that was at my, my grandparents' 50th wedding anniversary. And, and there I was with, um, with some cousins. But man, I, I just wanted to, I wanted to, to grow up and I wanted to look like my father's family because I wanted to, I wanted to be big. And I, I, I wanted to wear the letterman's jacket and I wanted it to, to, to really look good on me. And, and I wanted to be one of those guys that others would ask to get things off the top shelf. I thought that was really cool, you know, as a kid, you know, hey, could you get those pickles? Well, yes, I can. And I always had to go get the stepladder, you know, to get up and, and get stuff. And I mean, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to but you kind of see that's just, that's who I was. And this is who I am now. And I wonder, will I ever look like my father's family? Oh, not so much the pictures that you see on the screen. I'm talking now about my father's family. Do you know that we are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus? Scripture tells us that we're all children of God because of our faith in Christ Jesus, because as many of you have put on Christ, you have been clothed with Christ. And it's like you have put on some new clothes. And because you are part of Christ's family, because I am a part of this family, there's, there's no division. There should not be any kind of separation. During, during biblical times, the example was given uh, Jew and non-Jew and slave and free, male and female, we could say now there should be no separation, black, white, hi Hispanic, Anglo. I mean, you know, there, there's, there are different ways that we can look at this and apply it now. But in Christ, we all have this common relationship, and we are all equal. And I truly believe that we live in a time today that we have a world who is asking, when will the church look more like the Father? When will the church look more like the Father? You see, our identity is in Christ. We've talked about this over the last couple of weeks. Our identity is in Christ. That is, that is where we get our, uh, our worth. That is where we get our value. And our identity, we've mentioned, I think it was last week, we said, you know what? It's not in our politics. We're not Democrats or Republicans. It's not in our national borders. That, that's not where our identity comes from. But our identity comes through Jesus Christ. And it's because of that then that we are to treat one another in a certain way. Because we are now in Christ, and we are clothed with Christ, and so because of that, we are to resemble the family of God. We're to look like God's family. And so, I, what I want us to do, I want us just to walk through some things today where, where we're just going to see how, how well do we resemble the family of God? How well do we resemble the family of God? 
If you're taking notes on the front of your glory, praise, and honor, I want you to fill in the blanks as we go along. Here's the first thing I want you to put in. You need to know that justice and righteousness are grounded in God's character. Justice and righteousness are grounded in God's character. We talked about this a few weeks ago as well. The idea that that justice emphasizes fairness and equity and that righteousness stresses kindness and generosity. And and I've got to be honest with you. I didn't grow up hearing a lot about justice and righteousness within the community of God. I didn't grow up hearing a lot about how that distinguishing characteristics of the children of God is that you look for ways to be a part of the justice that God is already bringing forth and that living righteously meant that you were to be kind and and generous. And I have to admit that in my preaching career, I don't have a lot of lessons that I can go back and pull out and, and look over. It's not something that has been a part of my repertoire, so to speak, and I think for a lot of God's people, it's a message that we have forgotten, that the people of God are to look like their Father in justice and righteousness. Specifically, Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 17. Here's a passage where Moses is preparing the people of God to go into the promised land. Moses is going to turn things over to Joshua, and he is recounting the history of the Israelites and how that they had been brought out of Egypt by God. They had been brought to the doorstep of promise only for the people to say, I can't see past my nose. And he tells the listeners there in Deuteronomy that, look, Your moms and dads, your grandparents, they had the opportunity and then they turned around and they went another way, but now you've got an opportunity here to go in and have something that they never had before. And he begins to talk to them about the type of people that they are to be as they go into the land. He says, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, and he is the great God, the mighty and awesome God who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice and he shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. Moses is reminding the people, this is who God is. This is the one who has led you by fire. This is the one who has shaken the ground. The God that you have been learning about during this journey that you have been on, this is a God who shows no partiality. This is a God who looks after those who no one else will look after. This is the God who feeds you. This is the God who clothes you. And because of this, and because this is who God is, he says, you too must show love to foreigners, for you yourself were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Now, couldn't, couldn't Moses have said this same thing before Pharaoh? Couldn't he have gone before Pharaoh and said that the Lord is the God of gods, he is the great God, the, the awesome God, and he is the one that shows no partiality and he cannot be bribed, and he is the God that ensures that orphans and widows receive justice, he is the one that cares for the foreigners that live among you. Couldn't he have done the same thing in Egypt talking to Pharaoh? Because think about it now, isn't this the same way that God treated the Hebrews when they were foreigners 
in Egypt. Moses is reminding them, is saying, hasn't God provided, hasn't God provided you with food and clothing? Isn't this the way that God took care of your ancestors? And he's trying to get across a point that God's people are to reflect God's character. As I have done for you, you are to do for others. As I have treated you, you are to treat others. Don't forget where you come from. Did, did your grandma ever tell you that? Now, she probably said, don't forget your raising, right? She reminded you, maybe you're going out the door. and She said, don't forget your raising. And you looked in your pockets for raisins. And you just knew they were going to be there. She says, don't forget where you came from. That's what Moses is trying to remind the people of here. Because if this is true of God, then this must be true of the people of God. And we now in 2018... As we claim God as our Father, we must also find ways of expressing His character in our own practices. Even if now as believers we live in a new stage in the history of God's redemption. Because I really believe that justice and righteousness are to be reflected within God's community. Now you see this principle beginning with Israel. They had an emphasis on God's character that was seen in the application of some very specific laws. They had the law of, of tithing, and all Israelites gave one-tenth of their annual income to the Levites and priests so that, that they might have an upkeep for the temple. But every third year, every third year, these tithes were put into a public storehouse, and they were put there, Scripture says in Deuteronomy 14, for the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. And by the time that the, the historian Josephus lived, Jews practiced not one, but actually two tithes in the third year. And they had an additional third of a tithe, so that they were actually giving 23.3% of their income every three years, so that those who were poor among them might be cared for. It was their law of tithing. And then they had the laws of gleaning where the landowners could not gather all the grain that their land could produce. They had to leave some for the poor to gather for themselves. It wasn't just a mere handout. The poor went and they, they worked on the land, those outside areas to be able to gather. But these landowners would voluntarily limit their profit-taking so that the poor among them could provide for themselves without having to rely on benevolence. And the Israelites also had something known as the year of Jubilee. See, every seventh year was a Sabbath year in which debts were canceled and, and those who were servants or slaves were freed. And then every seventh Sabbath year, that means every 49th year, that was a time of Jubilee. And on that time, not only were the debts forgiven, but land was also to go back to the original tribal family allotments. Just as when the Israelites first entered into Canaan. In these laws, the idea of tithing and the gleaning and this idea of jubilee, these things were put in place and they were meant to remove long-term poverty from Israel because justice and righteousness were to be evident within the community of God. And so Moses would tell the people in Deuteronomy 15, there should be no poor among you. For the Lord your God will greatly bless you in the land that he is giving you as special possession. But if there are poor Israelites in the towns when you arrive in the land, the Lord your God is giving you to not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. 
Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything that you do. He goes on to say, there's always going to be some poor who are among you, and this is why I'm commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites who are in need. God's people are to reflect God's character. Now, it continues on then when you go into the New Testament. And you see how the book of Acts gives the most expansive view on how the early Christians lived out this specific expectation. You can read about it in Acts chapter 2 as you have these new believers coming together, learning what it means to do life with one another. The outpouring of the Spirit on their life created a fellowship among them that was very unique to their gatherings. You can unpack it. This principle, if you look in Acts 2 and verse 44, it says, all the believers met together in one place and they shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared money with those who were in need. And later on in Acts chapter 4, those believers with more in a way of wealth and possessions frequently went and liquidated their assets and gave the cash to the apostles so they could distribute it to members of the community who were in need of help. And because of this radical generosity, Acts 4.34 says there were no needy people among them. Now, here's what's great about this particular statement. Remember what we just looked at in Deuteronomy 15, the text that said, look, there should not be any needy people among you. And so, God said, look, I'm, I'm giving you the laws of tithing, the laws of gleaning. There's going to be the time of jubilee. You're going to be caring for one another. And now in Acts 4.34 you have this direct quote from Deuteronomy 15.4. In Deuteronomy, the believers in God were called to open their hands to the needy as long as there was a need until they were self-sufficient. And I don't think it's accidental that as Luke looks at the beginning of the Christian community, he reaches back into history. He reaches back to this time where God said, my people will reflect my character. And he points out that among the people of God, because of the generosity of the people. So there weren't needy people among them. The writings and acts give us even more insight into the love and justice of the early church. Just as in the Old Testament, there were special classes of officials who were set apart to help those who were needy. In the New Testament, there were also those who did a similar work. You can read about it in Acts chapter 6. The Jerusalem Christians conducted what was known as the daily service, or literally the daily deaconing. There was a lot of deaking going on. And the deaking that was happening was that the widows who were among them were being cared for. But as the amount of Christians grew, the amount of widows continued to increase. It became more and more difficult to care for these. And there began to be factions among the Christian community. Those of a Hebrew descent and those of a Greek descent. And some felt like that their widows were being neglected in the deaconing that was going on. And so the elders said, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look for a group of men and I want you to, I want you to turn this over to them. Later on, you see where individuals who served in similar roles became known as, as deacons. The word itself went on to take on the idea of humble service for practical needs. Those of you who are deacons, who are ministry leaders, who are going to be a part of the meeting that's coming up uh, this afternoon with, with our shepherds, 
You need to understand that the origins of your role came with the early believers making sure that those who were among them were cared for. It's at its heart a role of, of service and compassion. It has its beginning in justice and, and righteousness. But we come to this question and we say, you know what? I know that the Christian community should take care of, of their brothers and sisters. We kind of agree on that for the most part, and, and we try to participate in that in, at different levels. But what kind of um, obligation is the Christian community under to care for their poor neighbors or the poor of the world? You know, it's true when you look at the social legislation of the Old Testament, it's largely about caring for the needs of those who were part of the Hebrew community. And most of the examples of generosity that you find in the New Testament are focused on those who are part of the body of Christ. And I guess there's a common sense to it, right? Our first responsibility is to our own family and relations. You can read about that in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 8. And then we've got our second responsibility to the members of our community of faith. But just like justice and righteousness are to be reflected within God's community, Scripture also shows us that justice and righteousness are to be reflected by God's community. It's clear that Christians, their practical love, their, their generous justice is not just to be confined to believers. Paul would say to the churches in Galatia, look, whenever you have the opportunity, you need to do good to everyone, sure, especially those who are your brothers and sisters. You see, helping all people is not optional. It's the command of God. We don't only have to look in the New Testament to see this. One of the, the four vulnerable classes that were protected by the Hebrew prophets was the immigrant. And while foreigners residing in Israel could convert, the command to provide them with shelter and guard their legal rights was not qualified by whether or not they entered into the covenant or not. And this showed that Israel's justice and compassion was not to be confined only to its own believing community. See, you don't have to look like me to receive my compassion. You don't have to speak my language to be treated fairly. You don't have to have my background in my small town USA and have experienced all the things that I have experienced for me to be concerned about, about your well-being. And you don't have to be my brother or sister in Christ for me to care about you. You see, if we're trying to live a life in accordance with Scripture, the concept and call to justice is just in, it's inescapable. We do justice when we give all human beings their due as creations of God. And doing justice, if you want to use that type of language, includes not only righting wrongs, but generously being a part of individual social concerns, especially those who are poor and vulnerable. It consists of a broad range of activities from simple, fair, and honest dealings with people that we deal with day to day to regular and, and radical, generous giving of time and, and resources to even activism that seeks to end particular forms of injustice and violence and oppression. The kind of activities that reflect the very character of God. Because the character of God is revealed in us 
as we do right by others. And people say, you look like your father. People say, there's something about you. I can't put my finger on it, but you look like somebody. You look like somebody I've heard about. You look like somebody I know. You look like somebody that I have been told about. You look like somebody I just can't put my finger on it. The character of God is revealed in us as we do right by others. I like how the prophet Ezekiel gives an example of who is a righteous individual. He says, suppose a certain righteous or a certain man is righteous and does what is just and right. He is merciful. He's a merciful creditor, not keeping the items given as security by the poor debtors. He does not rob the poor, but instead gives food to the hungry and provides clothes for the needy. He grants loans without interest, and he stays away from injustice. Can I stop just right here and make a quick point? Righteousness here is connected in the way in which we are treating those who are poor and vulnerable, but it's also connected in the way that we choose not to participate in injustice. It's not about just going and doing just things, but it's about recognizing those things that are unjust and staying away from them. And saying, we're not going to have our name attached to it. I'm not going to put that on my social media post. And it's not something that I'm going to be shouting to the rooftops. I'm going to stay away from injustice. Why? Because I believe that the character of God is seen in righteousness. See, the person who is truly righteous lives a life of humility, equity, and generosity in every aspect of his or her life. And I just want to, I just want to tell you some of the things that you are involved in here that maybe, maybe you don't even realize it because we're a very large congregation and, and we have different people involved in, in different things as a whole. Did you know that on Wednesday nights during the school year, we have a meal uh, that uh, we serve starting around 5.30 or so. And many of you who come to our Wednesday night classes come and enjoy that meal. Did you know that the food that's left over from that is, is given to a local homeless shelter food kitchen? Do you know that during times of emergency that our Family Life Center is opened up as a Red Cross emergency shelter and it stays active until there is no longer a need for us to serve in that role? And that we have housed individuals from all over Chattanooga over the last few years depending on the different calamity that had been fallen individuals? Do you understand that we have a ministry to those who are in prison and a ministry that's always looking for men and women to volunteer, to be a part, to go in and to, to share the hope of Jesus Christ with those who are incarcerated? And then we also have a ministry here that's called Transformation that is for individuals who have been released early from their incarceration, wanting to walk with them through Scripture as they begin to work their way back into a life that we pray is going to be one of righteousness. Do you know that each month we take meals to the hospital, uh, emergency care centers, and we, we leave those lunches for individuals who are, who are there dealing with the pain of their loved ones? 
We talk a lot about our snack pack ministry. You've heard how that uh, we have some 12 to 14 schools that, that we send bags to during the school year so that every weekend some 1,400 students are able to go home with some type of food. Those individuals who are considered by the county to be food insecure and not have anything in home on the weekends. We do warm coats for cool kids in uh, the wintertime and so many of you have, have bought and donated coats for this particular ministry. We have a children's offering that we do each month, and we take up money for some children in an orphanage in Haiti. And please be in prayer for those uh, two children and for their, their friends and the individuals who are caring for them right now is there's a lot of unrest on that island. We send people from our congregation to Guatemala and Mexico, Honduras, Jamaica, Peru, we go there carrying hope. We go there carrying the message of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we go there carrying financial assistance and we go there carrying our own love for them. Do you know that because of the money that you give each week that we're able to give monthly to the Greater Chattanooga Christian Services? which is a counseling center here in town that sits down with individuals who are going through loss, who are dealing with marital struggles, who are dealing with addiction, trying to work with them from a biblical and scriptural perspective. And it's because of the money that you give that we're able to support that monthly. Same goes for the monthly contribution that we make to Martin Boyd, which is a home for widows, for widowers, for those individuals who they are no longer able to care for themselves as well in their home. And so, it's an assisted living facility that we're able to give contributions to. And by the way, in August, so in next, next month, we'll be responsible for going on Sunday afternoons and having a time of worship with the residents there. And I want you to remember, go ahead and mark that on your, on your schedule so you'll be prepared in the Sundays in August to go and, and to share a time of, of worship and praise with them. We also have a family care budget here for just members of our own church family who uh, have difficulties and sometimes things happen totally beyond their control. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's poor decision making, but for whatever reason, their back's up against the wall and again, because of money that you give on a weekly basis, we're able to, to share and, and help. And there, there are people you might be sitting beside them right now, you don't know about it, but but you have, you've helped them because of your generosity. And because of your generosity, this is something I know I'm going to step, um, steal some of the elders' thunder here, but we are now debt-free as a congregation. Not only have we paid off the note that was here on this facility, but the line of credit that has been used for other physical repairs, that too has been paid off. And now as a congregation, we are debt-free. And the next generation wonders how we're going to le leverage our money to combat poverty and injustice. And we look at these different ways that we're involved in the things that we are involved in. And the question is asked, all right, what are we going to do next? What's going to take place? And as I was reading and preparing for this message, I thought, as I was reading the idea of that every third year tithe, I thought, you know what would be really cool if we were able to arrange our financial budgets to do? Wouldn't it be cool if we could say, maybe in the year 2019, that, that every third Sunday, 
the every third Sunday offering, 10% of whatever would be given would be set aside. And at the end of the quarter, so after four of our third Sunday offerings, there was a specific ministry, there was a specific mission that then that money was, was turned over and given to. Do you think that there are, are ministries, do you think that there are individuals who could use that type of financial assistance? If we just went by our budget right now, you're looking at every quarter having somewhere around $12,000 that we could say, you know what, we, we, we want to be able to put shoes on feet, and we want to be able to have clean water, and we want there to be socks and underwear downtown for those who are homeless, and we want for Greater Chattanooga Christian Services to be able to see more people and to do more good. And you know what? Here. Our congregation, we've set aside every third Sunday, 10% is going to go to help the poor and the needy and to help those who are afflicted in some way. And we just want to bring this and give this to you and let you know that we've been praying for you. I think that'd be awesome. I think that'd be great. But here's what it's going to take. Here's what it's going to take for us to be able to think creatively like that and also to be able to continue the great the great works that God is already doing among us. Uh, Friday night, our congregation had a time at the lookouts. And uh, it rained, I know, and, and all that kind of stuff was going on, but it's still great to go out, you know, to the ball field. And, and it just reminded me, you know, when I was there, when I was that little kid and I wanted to eat quarterbacks and then I never grew, you know, I thought, well, maybe I can at least play baseball. Maybe I'll be a baseball player. That's what I can do. I mean, little guys play baseball, right? And so, I kind of had that, you know, as a dream until, you know, God sent a coach to crush my dreams one year and, and, and things just went a different direction. But I've always enjoyed baseball and, and playing softball. And so, so, one year when I was out at the lookouts, I got, a, um, I got an official jersey. I did. I mean, this is an actual, this is an actual Chattanooga Lookouts minor league baseball worn jersey. I have no idea who wore it, but it was a very large man, and, and, and I'm thankful for that. And, and so, I, I've, I've, got this, I've got this jersey, and you know, what if, what if I put on this jersey ever so often, and, and what if I just went down to the ball field and sat in the dugout? And got out the baseball rule book and read it. And then got up and took a few swings. Just practice, you know. And, and, and maybe saying, take me out to the ball game. Right? What, what, what if I did that just, just periodically? You know, I, I, think, I think it would make me feel good. And I think that it would, I think that it would really inspire me. And, and, and I, I think, you know what, it, it, could hand, it, could, it could really handle and deal with a, a lot of the stuff that's in my past when I was told, no, you're too small or no, you're not good enough. And so, you know what, I think that's just what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go to the ball field and I'm just going to sit down and read the rule book and get out my bat and swing it a little bit and sing a little bit and, and go home. And you know, if I were to do that, I'd probably get locked up. 
<laughs> because I'm not on the team, right? And it doesn't matter how much I try to look like that ball player. Just wearing the outfit and swinging the bat and reading the rule book means nothing if I never get out and play the game. In church, the only way the works of God continue is if the people of God are the instruments of God's grace. And that means for you and for me that we need to get out and start playing even more than we already have. He said, Chris, you just read off all that list, all those things that we're doing and all the things that we're involved in. We're not all involved in them. We're not all involved. And guess what? There's some other things that we could be doing. There's some other things that we could be imagining. There are other people who need to be experiencing the righteousness of God. And it doesn't happen if we just get together and wear the clothes and sing the songs and read the rule book. It only happens when we actually go and are instruments of the grace of God in people's lives. And so we've got to go. We've got to have our eyes open for the injustices that are around us. And we've got to go and we've got to have our heart our heart ready to be able to experience all the different things that we see and take it all in so that we can be moved to some type of action. And I hope that as we are getting together here each week and talking about this whole idea of being an instrument of grace, that I hope it's starting to, to build up within you. And I hope, that, I hope that it's starting to change the way maybe you're looking at, at those people that you see within the city and people that you work with and, and people that you are on the ball teams with and, and the way in which you view your Christianity. Because God's people are supposed to reflect God's character. And the world is waiting for more and more of God's children to actually look like the Father. I praise God for the work that He's doing through you. And I ask for more to be done through the people in this place. I pray that you'll join me. We bow. Father, we thank you for the caring for us. We thank you for the way that you've poured out your blessings upon us. Will you help remind us where we have come from? Will you help us to remember how that we are all dependent on your grace? Will you help us to remember the responsibilities that we have? Because you have given freely to us, we need to be willing to give freely to others. And we need to be more involved in the lives of individuals. And we need to, to have more ministering opportunities. And Father, it starts with our heart. 
And so I ask that you would strengthen us so that we would not grow weary in well-doing. And I'm so thankful for the men and women, for the young and old who have labored here among these people for so long. And you have used them in such a mighty way. Strengthen them so they do not, so they do not get tired. So they have a new fresh measure of energy to continue your righteousness. And Father, I, I pray for individuals who are here who have been tied up more in themselves and not open to you. That they will be convicted because of the, the message that they have heard, because of the relationship that they desire to have with you. And Father, they will want to look more like you tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And it will be shown in the way in which they treat other people. Father, I thank you for the grace that has been poured out upon us through Jesus Christ. May we be instruments of that grace each and every day. And Father, I pray for those who perhaps need to just come to you privately and say, Lord, I need you to forgive me because I have had opportunities and I have failed. I've been content to wear the uniform. I've been content to read the rule book and to sing a few songs, but I have not, I've not actually gotten out and served and sacrificed and involved myself in the life of others for your justice and righteousness. Father, I thank you for how you've poured your blessings upon this church. And I pray for many more years of men and women, young and old, looking like you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, and together we say, amen. If you need to come this morning, whatever your reason might be, we encourage you, come. It's a new song. Let's sing it from the heart. Let's stand and sing.